1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host Sam Vicini. We're presented by The Athletic today on the show. Uh, He's back. Dear friend of the program, Matthew Penny is here. It's been a big few days in Boston sports so I figured that I needed to give Penny an extra 24 hours to be able to recover we had the Red Sox beating the Yankees in an elimination wildcard game we had Tom Brady coming back to Foxborough to play the New England Patriots. How is your body and mind recovered, Penny? Uh, Massachusetts I, I, basketball I, legend Matthew Penny, by the way.
0: Thank thank you for proper intro. I thought you were going to throw Stefan Gilmore in there, too, just to jab at my heart. Uh, range <laughs> I of forgot emotions. about Gilmore. Wide, a yeah. wide, wide range of emotions. And you had an extra 24 hours for me because the story behind the story is I had car issues, my computer charger's at work, my laptop is on like 26%. Like, all right, let's do it tomorrow. So I ended up going and, and walking around the Fenway area before the Yankees game. I I promised that wasn't like a, a dog ate my homework thing. Like, I legitimately <laughs> didn't have my charger. So, it's so I got funny. to breathe in the rivalry.
1: Yeah, you uh, texted me and our mutual friend like stopped at your house and you guys went into the game together. And you were like, yeah, I just forgot my uh, cord <laughs> or whatever at home. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Our, our buddy is there.
0: No, and swear, you want a podcast?
1: Like, no, yeah, go into I'm the city the and, like, have fun. Like, what are we doing here? I, we'll record yeah, I tomorrow. I don't,
0: want, yeah, I don't want to be the guy who, who says, yeah, fill in with another guest. And then, oh, yeah, we am going to have Cal Ripken on the show for the next 4,000 pods. I, I, oh, I can't lose my spot. It, it nah. worked out well because he, he was going in and he had tickets. And I just went in to uh, – have a couple of college sodas and, and scope out the area and uh got my time. I checked the box with the, the Schwartzies, Fitzies, Sullies and then all <laughs> the cartoon character Yankees fans. Uh, it was it was awesome though. It was. It's I recommend it to anybody that if there's a big time game at Fenway, just even to walk around. You don't have to go in. There's it was um it was quite the scene. Well I'll leave it at that.
1: It, it's a huge bummer because I've never been to a playoff baseball game for The team I root for because obviously it's the Pirates and the Pirates were fucking terrible for the first 20 (laughs) years of my life basically and then right when they got good and made the playoffs was right when I moved to LA in 2014-2015 you know right around that area so I, I couldn't even like go back out over there because the first year the one where like Johnny Cueto like dropped the ball because the fans had like gotten his head so bad like I had like, I think finals for grad school like that night or something like that. So there was just no priorities. Yeah.
0: There was no no escape. It's so It is a little different now too. And I I think as, as Boston sports fans, we've been incredibly spoiled with most of our teams winning championships and the Red Sox breaking the curse and the fandom is still there, but it's not as fanatical if that makes sense. So, yes there's still fights in the stands with the yankees fans but not as many you're at the bar it's more like oh you guys suck no you suck oh, okay yeah. go grab a beer it, it's not as like uh territorial and you're not clenching your fists walking down lansdowne street
1: yeah like the like the yankees at the hands of the red sox though we have another death uh to discuss very briefly my Instagram account has died—a very, uh, <laughs> very tragic death. Unfortunately, under uh, under circumstances that are just, just like perfect for this podcast. I feel like did I, I feel like I was texting you as I was watching? You
0: did you, you Willy's you did. Wonderland. It was, like, it, was, it was almost real time, and that was your punishment for watching the movie. Which I think the punishment fits the crime. That if you watched that and got through it, and you were explaining it to me. The least they could do is deactivate your Instagram account.
1: Yeah. So for people who don't know, Willy's Wonderland is a movie with Nicolas Cage, where he literally does not speak throughout the whole movie. And I don't really care about spoiling this movie because fuck Willy's Wonderland because I don't have an inst- I have <laughs> no like I a watch it. Yeah. borderline Instagram account. I won't ruin the whole thing. But Nicolas Cage does not speak throughout the whole movie. You're like waiting for him to talk, and it just never happens. Right, and he gets locked into a uh, like i don't even know how to describe it it's like almost a dave and busters-esque thing with animatronic animals uh that's Wait, like
0: dave uh, and busters in what sense is it like an arcade like, yeah like like museum ish with like with points and tickets
1: yeah like an arcade it has like a funhouse kind of thing like there's like a lot of different kind of vibes to it it's there, there's just a lot kind of going on there and i instagram storied a video of nicholas cage like curb stomping the head of an animatronic bear and then this movie is so ridiculous that it then has like oil splatter up in his face, uh, as if it's like blood, like from, you know, Mandy or something like that. And I Instagram storied it. And then under 24 hours later, my account was disabled basically. So the Willie's wonderland, uh, people have gotten me and uh, I have to create a new Instagram account. Unfortunately, just, a it's,
0: it's, it's a sad way to go. And, and for, for people, Listening and and following along when when I'm here and Sam and our kind of antics. I feel like every time I I text Sam about, hey, we're going to talk about these guys next week, or he shoots me an idea, he'll always follow up with some movie that he's watching. And I'm just like, I don't, like, how did you select that? Like, I'll I'll go on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, whatever. And there's so many times I'm like, I got nothing. Like, I'm just going to watch more preseason basketball, something. You always find something and describe it. And I just, I'm in awe of your, uh, your your wonder and your search for all these movies like i don't know if you're trying to find the end of the internet via movie or or what it is but it does uh it does amaze me
1: well so a lot of the things that i end up watching are horror movies because laura is an enormous horror movie fan and has converted me into horror movies and obviously a lot of of those come out on like vod right um Mm -hmm. like for instance earlier this week i was watching the night house like that had like a box office release you've did you, have you heard of do you know what the night house is
0: is the night house with uh, i apologize for not knowing the actress name is that the actress that was in the town was that yes. the bank teller rebecca okay. hall so yes. i i saw the picture of it uh, i scrolled by it and then you actually said check it out so so that one like could make sense to me
1: yeah but then like we'll also watch other stuff like um like we watched the wrong turn Remake, which was just abysmally, like, terrible. We watched, um, like, Willy's Wonderland, obviously, which was... Like, look, I'm a big fan of the genre Nicolas Cage getting a paycheck, and it's, like, legitimately a genre at this point. Like, movies where I, well, it seems like Nick I, Cage I, I is... Had a, I
0: had a question for you on Nicolas Cage as, as I pull up IMDb here. It's like, what is... Like, when did it make the turn for him that he says, I'm going all in with with this side of it? Huh. Because it's been, like, a decade, at least. But I, I'm, I'm scrolling. Like, was the turn after, like, was National Treasure just the turning point? He's like, yeah, I'm here.
1: Hmm. So, like, that's a good question. When do I think? I think that, like, the VOD, like, slash, like, streaming boom, like, really kind of made made the switch for him. Because even, like, 2007, like, we have Ghost Rider. We have, like, the National Treasure uh, sequel. Uh, two, right? <laughs> yeah, 2009 is still like Bad Lieutenant, which is actually a good movie. Um, Bad Lieutenant is
0: good.
1: Yeah, and then Kick-Ass in 2010. I think it was probably, it was probably right after the Ghost Rider sequel, I would guess. Uh, like right in that range, because then like in 2014, we start getting into Rage, which is some weird movie where he's holding what looks like a machete like behind his back on the movie poster outcast which it looks like is a Chinese Canadian action movie Um, left behind where there's a big fake flame behind him uh, like on the uh, uh, like poster there's a movie called pay the ghost I actually read the script for that while I was Mm. working at uh, I don't know if I should say which movie studio um, That's as fine. an intern, a, a movie studio. A movie studio. And then, like, in 2018, I think it started to turn backward again, where these, like, VOD directors learned how to use him a little bit better and learned how to use the absurdity. Like, in Mandy, he's really good. Um, then in Color Out of Space is, like, kind of an interesting movie. And then Pig this year is actually, like, amazing, to be honest. Uh, he's phenomenal. And it is, like, a... Um, person who's down in his luck just like living out in the woods by choice uh but then like he did like this terrible grand Isle movie with kelsey Grammer early like last year which was a nightmare so i i, I think it turned probably around like 2014 if we're kind of trying to pinpoint uh, it, and, it.
0: and his titles have become so literal too whatever the title is like that's exactly the movie there's not a lot left for interpretation that is what the movie is and i it, i think you watch every single one of them because no matter what you say hey it's another nicholas cage movie it's like here we go again
1: i i don't watch all of them like i haven't seen 2020s Jiu-Jitsu, despite the fact <laughs> that it has both nick cage and frank grillo like look i'm a big frank grillo fan as much as any other action movie connoisseur but yeah ha- haven't gotten to that one yet let's say uh I do watch a lot of them, though. Which says a lot about me, doesn't it? Like, there's a new one. There's a new one called Prisoners Out of Ghostland, where it looks like he has, like, samurai swords.
0: He's in in Ghostland as Prisoners,
1: (laughs) that's it. um, (laughs) The Wikipedia genre of prisoners of ghostland it says prisoners of the ghostland is a 2021 american weird western action crime film <laughs> <laughs> whenever we've got five descriptive words on what kind of genre the movie is and one of them is weird you know that you're getting into something there
0: uh they probably put some thought into that too through through an intern and like spice that up a little bit throw another <laughs> word or two get another descriptor
1: oh my There's god this weird fit. Um, Do you want to do you want to do the many saints of Newark thing now or do you want to wait until the end?
0: Let's wait until the end so people don't jump ship and say, why am I driving to work? And they're still talking about Nicolas Cage 17 minutes later.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, let's uh, we're here to talk about wings in the 2022 NBA draft. So interesting crop of players for a number of reasons i sent you a big list earlier this week of the guys that we want to talk about we kind of split wings and forwards into a couple of different groups Uh, i mean what what do you think of this wing class because i'm i'm struggling with it a little bit in terms of overall talent
0: well i looked at my notes and uh, we're doing wings today and i'm assuming we'll do guards in the next week or two i I, when we're done we'll have talked about here around 100 guys which is which is good i think we cover a lot i've just sort of been underwhelmed at the depth and maybe more underwhelmed like the sure things like how many first round grades do you have on guys right now Oh, I doubt it's – I mean, just, just roughly. Just just roughly. It's not 35. It's not 42 like a couple oh, years no, ago. No,
1: no, no, no. I think it's under 20 right now, to so be honest. It, it,
0: it's under 20, and, and we, we've kind of talked about offline here. The wings are, are even less. There, there's a good handful of guys, and then there's space and opportunity for a, a bunch of other places to kind of – sees that spot that hasn't been grasped yet so there's a lot of names but not a lot of wow names for me with this group aside from the top three or four say
1: yeah and like there are a couple guys that i think could really help the depth of this group like that we're talking about and that is exciting to me that we're going to get to see potentially some of these um I don't even know about, like, question marks is fair, because I think a lot of these guys are NBA players long-term. Like, we're going to talk about um, Bryce McGowan's today, right? Um, Mm -hmm. We scheduled him for today as opposed to next week, right? Yes. So, like, we're going to talk about Bryce McGowan's. Like, I think there's a chance Bryce McGowan's is, like, a one-and-done who ends up being a top-20 pick. I think there's a chance Bryce McGowan's is, like, a guy who shoots under 40% this year, depending on how things go. Like, it's a total he's a wild card to me i think there are just a lot of wild cards in this nba draft class in general and kind of like you said there are a lot of many fewer sure things than what i'm used to certainly
0: and it'll it'll evolve in time too because i know the preseason spent two games and people are either completely overjoyed or, or ready to fire their general manager based on said preseason games and stats which as a reminder don't matter we said the same thing about summer league just we'll we'll talk about the hot takes but now i feel like the preseason is like even hotter takes and throwing some veterans and cam reddish is this and Jalen. it's like just just relax uh there's guys that will kind of pop up too so my point is that Trey Murphy, I I mean, I knew who he was, but I, I didn't say, like, hey, first podcast we're talking about guys. Let's talk about Trey Murphy and Josh Primo. Like, those yeah. guys have been really good, but I'd be lying if I said I knew it was going to happen throughout the year. A lot of these freshmen, it's going to take time. I mean, you, you mentioned Bryce McGowan's. Like, we're going to talk about other freshmen that, like, a guy like Harrison Ingram. Maybe he's one and done. Maybe he's there for three years. Just, we, we got to see some, some actual game tape of college basketball before we get – far ahead of ourselves
1: yeah yeah no i agree so let's um let's just jump in quick with the guy that i think is probably the biggest wild card in this 2022 nba draft class and it's aj griffin and we probably could have popped aj griffin into the last like forwards podcast but i wanted to save someone that is like really interesting for this podcast to be honest and i think aj griffin is absolutely unequivocally the guy that is the swing player in this 2022 NBA draft class, because you could absolutely sell me that by the time January rolls around, we're talking about him as a top three pick. Uh, you could absolutely sell me that the last 18 months, where we haven't really seen him all that much, because he got hurt in his junior year, and then spent this past season rehabbing in Tampa with his father, Adrian Griffin, who is the assistant, lead assistant coach of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, you could sell me that, like he hasn't gotten enough better, maybe is the way to put it, to where he's taken that leap, and you know maybe we're talking about a mid to late first round pick, right? I just don't know because we haven't seen him in a highly competitive atmosphere. What I will say is, you go back and you watch his U sixteen tape uh, at the FIBA Americas. He's awesome. He is a phenomenal player. Uh, you go back and you watch some of like the high school tape. You go back, you watch a little bit of the AAU that's out there. Like very, very impressive player, but. We just haven't seen him like that. That's where this whole thing gets complicated. Like we have not seen AJ Griffin enough to like really feel confident about placing him somewhere right now. Right.
0: I, I don't I mean he, he's popped up on various boards anywhere from seven to 17 to 25. I, I don't know where to slot him yet. I mean, he had a good I think he played one session at UIBL the last year there before he got hurt and he was hurt before that. And he took a little tumble in the high school rankings because of it, because those guys ranking like it, it's hard to project if you haven't seen other like him play versus other guys in the class who've gotten better gotten worse. So I think just to be safe, they they pegged, they pushed him down a few spots. I'm I'm not mad at it. I, I'm drawn to what he can do and it's telling that we said, I didn't know where to put him. Do we put him the three, put him at the four? He can play multiple positions. Yeah. And he's grown a little bit, and at the same time, he developed his game. And when he's healthy, he has real explosion and popped the way he attacks. And yep. it's more of an NBA game with him with his footwork and with his angles to beat guys. He'll seal a guy and have a quick little fadeaway. Uh, he can make you pay when he's left open from, from deep. He has the bloodlines that you said with his dad. And then also... His mom ran track at Seton Hall. His brother, Alan, plays at Syracuse. His sister plays basketball at UConn. So he grew up around the game. And there's a reason he has so much polish at a young age. And being in New York, I think you're automatically overhyped just because that's just the way <laughs> the way things go there. And when I first saw him as a freshman and sophomore, I was like, nah, I don't know, maybe. And then we kind of like got healthier and a little bit more sure of himself junior year. I said, wow, I, I see it here. So there's trick-or-treat watching him in high school there's games he looks like a a lottery pick and others he looks like he would come off the bench for like a a big east team so i I don't know which aj griffin we're gonna get Uh, i think it'll help him playing alongside the guys that he will be this this college season and he'll he'll have the opportunity to kind of solidify himself as as a top five guy but yeah, it's it's far from unfinished for me.
1: Yeah, I mean six far from foot six. Finished, he is unfinished. Yeah, totally six foot six with uh, I mean, damn near a seven foot wingspan. Right, like if it's not seven foot, it's six ten and a half, six eleven and yep. a half, something like that. Uh, legitimately looks like an NBA wing, probably more than any other player in this class. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Yeah, I I, I don't know who who tweeted at you, but the last pod somebody wrote. When are you writing about? AJ Griffin, the dude looks like a superhero. He does, like he has yeah, a, he a chiseled, long, forwardish frame. Where it's, I don't know if he's a three or four on the court, but it doesn't really matter because he he looks like he has the the wherewithal to to play those both spots.
1: Yeah, totally. So, uh, look, we're talking about a guy that could be a top three pick here, and I feel like we've kind of exhausted what we should say about him, if only because, again, like it's just an uncertain situation with AJ and I don't want to like overhype. I don't want to underhype. I I think that there are just so many different avenues that could play themselves out over the course of the next year that I don't really want to like throw specific things out there on him. Like, like you said, I think he has a chance to be a real shooter. I I actually kind of like the way he gets into his pull up game as well. He can hurt you from deep just off the catch. Like he has all of the tools I just need to see more of like the glue. Like what does he look like as a ball handler against high pressure, against guys who are as big as he is, against guys um who can cut off his drives and like make him present a counter move. These are just questions we don't know the answer to. I don't know if he can do it, I don't know if he can't do it. There's just a lot that we don't know right now, I think.
0: And I, I don't know if we mentioned this. He he's going to Duke. So he'll he'll be playing next to Paulo Banquero who's in discussion for the top pick in the draft. I am fascinated to see what that relationship basketball-wise looks like. Uh, I have too much time on my hands in terms of trying to find basketball tape, and Duke posted like nine minutes of, of baskets of like an open scrimmage to a social media account, and I'm like kind of like scouring like, I think that was an A.J. Griffin basket, but he's not really cutting much here. <laughs> so uh, I, I need to see full games. I, I think it'll be a, a fun watch with, with him and Paulo to – potentially battle out for those top three ish picks
1: and now that we're past AJ Griffin like we're we're into total wild card territory now
0: Uh, I'm scrolling at that yes I mean he's he's pretty wild but yeah there's uh, I'd say more wild cards just not a ton of separation right here right now
1: well I'm saying like I think AJ Griffin's like definitely the best talent among these wings Sure. once you get past him, so like the next guy we have listed here is Ben Matherin. Like, yep. I think Ben Matherin can dribble a little bit. I don't know if he can dribble on an NBA court right now. Like, yeah. you know, the next guy here is like Peyton Watson, right? Like Peyton Watson's very skinny. Um, I, I have questions about how it's going to look at UCLA this year. Dyson Daniels. Like I have questions about the jump shot. Mark Spagley. I have questions, you know, kind of similarly to AJ Griffin. He was a guy last year that, um, <laughs> People hadn't seen a ton of over the course of the last couple of years, so uh, this is this is where we start getting into wild card territory, I think. And, uh, and I just want to like. A
0: lot of, and a lot of the evals are similar to, to everything you're saying. A lot of the guys right. like, well, can he shoot kind of? Can he dribble a little bit? Well, you need those skills as as a wing in the NBA. It's kind of non negotiables.
1: Right, but also wing is by far the position that nba teams are looking for most right now in terms of like depth players so a lot of these guys are going to go on the first round it's just right. we don't know which ones necessarily we don't know which ones are going to prove themselves as being worth that we don't know necessarily like we have a good sense like i have a pretty good sense of the having watched tape and like we're going to evaluate these guys but this is this is really the wild card group of the 2022 class. So let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to dive into some of these names here that I think are pretty fun. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in japan and you need a vpn if you want to go to like amazon prime or something to be able to watch it so when i'm blocked from watching a movie in australia i just queue up my vpn i change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services as somebody who's always on the go connecting to public wi-fi is a necessity but it's also just a goldmine for hackers that's where nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, to claim your account nordvpn.com slash game theory guys i can't emphasize enough uh how much i use nord every day of my life uh nord is a fantastic sponsor for us so go support nord and it's a great product so nordvpn.com slash game theory okay we're back let's start with Ben Matherin he is a six foot six wing out of Canada has like a six foot ten wingspan six foot nine six foot ten uh, going to Arizona went to Arizona last year uh, was a really good three and D player for the wildcats considered going to through to the nba draft uh after one season i think probably would have been selected somewhere in the top 40 had he done that uh but ultimately decided to stay at arizona for his sophomore year he'll play under new coach there tommy lloyd and it's an interesting skill set because he's a legit 40 percent three-point shooter right now i think and he is uh Accountable defensively, I would say. I don't I wouldn't go as far as like disruptive defensively, but he's very accountable. He's long, he can defend multiple positions. I think he's just kind of a three and D guy right now. And while that has value in today's NBA and he has real NBA athleticism, I think there's still kind of a lot to work out in terms of the rest of his game.
0: I do want to give him credit for a lot of guys will declare for the draft, say they go back to school, and uh, they haven't necessarily worked in their game, or you don't really show. His stuff has been very forward-facing. So his offseason, he went to camp with the Canadian national team It doesn't make that team. So he ends up playing the U19 team to capture the bronze medal. He scores 30 or more points twice in, in that FIFA yeah. tournament. He's added 15 pounds of muscle per the Tucson Journal, so he was listed at 195. Now he's up to 210 pounds on the website. Great. Hitting the weight room. I want some development to his mid-range game as well. He shot the three. He was 38 for 91 last year. He can finish some by the rim. But what else can he do? He, he doesn't really shoot well on the move. He doesn't really have a floater. You have to keep the defense guessing and not have them settle in, knowing if he's run off the line, he's going to try to throw himself in the paint and the handle's not the tightest. The FIBA so, stuff, I will so say. You,
1: he, you, think, you think he can't really shoot on the move right now?
0: Well, I mean, my next point was he did pull up from 15 feet a lot more this summer in the U19s. He did. Mm-hmm. So it, it's I feel like he's taking the criticism or the constructive criticism and feedback he got during the the kind of early drafters process, and then trying to put that into practice. Similar to that, though, I, I also want him to facilitate a little bit more and yeah. keep like some continuity offensively when he isn't scoring. Only one around one assist per game. And not view as a threat to to find their open man. If he's coming off a high ball screen like he's looking to shoot and everyone kinda knows it. And Arizona's gonna need him to score and to self-create. And he's not in this position this season to stand in the corner with his hands up and hoping he gets the ball reversed, which he did a lot last year. So he's gonna have to take more of a a leadership stake, I'd say. The opportunity is there with him and Tubelis, and he's gonna be able to explore his offensive repertoire, but during the research of this for him, because I, I am very intrigued by him as a prospect, I saw a Tommy Lloyd interview with Ben Pascoe, and he, and he said, regarding Ben Mathurin, he said he has a ton of potential, he's an awesome kid. He is maybe a little bit inconsistent. I think for him, he's had to find ways to utilize his abilities in other areas of the game, whether that's offensive rebounding for a putback, running for an easy layup, cutting for a layup, So, he's not just relying on somebody passing the ball and him shooting a three. I think this kid has so many ways he can contribute. I said, that's perfect. I don't need to say anything else. Like, his head coach gets it. I think that's what we all see as kind of draft evaluators. Like, he just needs to take that next step.
1: Yeah, and and Tommy's really smart with that stuff. Um, Anyone who's spoken to Tommy Lloyd before uh, just kind of understands that, that I, I think Tommy will get the most out of. Ben Matherin, in a pretty real way, because he has experience dealing with NBA prospect wings. I mean, he just coached Corey Kispert last year, for instance, right? And Corey Kispert developed into one of the better cutters, one of the better transition runners yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. No one scored more transition points last year in college basketball than Corey Kispert. So I think that Tommy will know how to get the most out of uh, what Ben Matherin's skill set is. Now, this is where things get a little bit tricky because I actually do think that Matherin can shoot on the move coming off of screens. Like I think that he can like take a pin down or take like a flare screen, stops at his feet and shoot. But I also agree with you that we haven't seen quite enough of the off the bounce game yet in terms of, Like, okay, guy closes out heavy. Can he relocate into, like, a one-dribble pull-up? Can he relocate into, like, a two-dribble, you know, elbow jumper in order to try and take advantage of just what the defense presents him? And on top of it, I'm really glad you brought up the passing because that, to me, is, like, the number one kind of concern for me. Uh, I I don't know that he sees the floor all that well in terms of making, like, damaging difficult passes uh it seems to me you know just just kind of watching him that it's either i'm gonna catch and shoot i'm gonna catch and try and like curl or maybe take a dribble even though it'll be like a preordained dribble uh or i'm just gonna make like an escape pass kind of thing as opposed to trying to draw defenders toward me and that's fine like he's young it'll take time but um that's kind of where i'm at like he's a good player he's
0: a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an easy out offensively right yeah now. The, the Corey Kisper thing is a great point because corey kids is one of these movement shooters and you're not going to shoot it like him i don't think so but he was as dangerous as a cutter hitting going away from the ball timmy finds him here like you didn't know where that guy was going to be if you leave ben Matherin at least last season if you left him in the corner if the ball's on the other side of the court you could go to help side and, He's still going to be in that corner. He's not one of these guys like sneaks behind the zone or like, you know, he, there's a back cut you're overplayed. Like he was just kind of one dimensional in that sense. In that he's right where you left him. He'll catch it. He can hit a three, but like everything else needs to just be expanded upon.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, okay, well, let's go to the next guy. Here is I, I want to talk about Peyton Watson next. Let's just like stay in the Pac-12. I've seen Peyton Watson. Probably, how much have you seen Peyton Watson? So that, that's a good question.
0: Or is he at Poly High School in California? A, a couple of those games, and that's that's really about it. He didn't have like a, a ton of tape out there, so just that and some All Star stuff.
1: Yeah, so, I so say less I've,
0: than five full games for sure.
1: Yeah, so I've I've seen right around the same as that, like probably five or six full games, and I, I was a little bit more hesitant on him, I guess. And it's worth saying that I have seen five or six games since he took the leap as well, because Peyton Watson Mm -hmm. uh, was not necessarily considered a potential one and done prospect. I would say up until when would you say Um, like right before his, um,
0: say junior-ish year like you're making that term because he was six right foot before two, the summer and, before his junior year yeah, yeah. and, and, and he six from six two to six eight in a year without right. losing his guard skills and that's why people did like the double look like oh man like this might be something
1: right so really really interesting player insofar as you're right that he hasn't lost his guard skills right he the thing that Offensively, impresses me most about Peyton Watson is the vision. He's a really, really good passer for someone who is mm-hmm. six foot eight. Uh, he also understands how to draw defenders toward him and then make passing reads off of that. Like he is a damaging passer. He's not just like a quick read, you know, catch and then, you know, fire passer. Uh, he actually knows how to react to what a defense is presenting to him he's just very skinny <laughs> and he's he playing at UCLA this year under Mick Cronin. And I think he's probably actually going to be fine playing for Cronin because I've liked what I've seen from him defensively quite a bit, actually. Like, I think he's very conscientious defensively. Like he knows where to be and he gives a lot of effort. And I think Cronin will really appreciate that. Uh, and I think Cronin under certain circumstances, you know, may kind of chew up and spit out some freshmen. I don't, I don't really think that'll happen with Peyton Watson. Having said that, Peyton Watson is also entering a UCLA team that has both Jaime Hawkins and Johnny Juzang, who we're going to talk about here. Honestly, maybe right as soon as we're done talking about Next. Peyton Watson.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right.
1: Um, they have Jules Bernard and David Singleton, both of whom are four-year guys at UCLA. They have Jalen Clark, who... I actually really liked at the end of last year, I thought was showcasing some very real talent. Uh, it seemed like a Mick Cronin kind of guy in terms of the way that he uh, was very aggressive defensively. They have a bit more depth on the interior this year than what they had last year. Like Cody Riley and miles Johnson are actually two centers. And I th- wouldn't be stunned if they try to play Cody Riley at the four occasionally. Um, I-, I wouldn't recommend that necessarily, but I, uh, I think Miles Johnson should just start at center. I think he's one of the best defensive centers in the country. Ha- having said that, they also have Mac Etienne, you know, coming yeah. off of a, I guess, let's say, a trial by fire freshman season because oh, he got there mid season and,
0: and they threw him in that fire. Man, I mean, he was playing yep. meaningful minutes in the tournament. He had to.
1: Yep, totally. So. Look, Mac Etienne's a guy that was like a four star recruit. And I think that they actually have good interior depth this year. They have great wing depth because they have four guys that, you know, can actually play on the wing, which is, you know, five guys really that can actually play on the wing without accounting for Watson, uh, which is more than any other team in college basketball, probably. Then on top of it, they have a great point guard in Tiger Campbell. So I just worry about what the role is for Peyton Watson. Peyton Watson's a great prospect and he's a great long-term prospect that i think is definitely going to play in the nba long term um and i think he's going to play in the nba for a long time once he gets his jumper figured out but if he's not shooting on a certain day like i think there's just a real chance Peyton watson plays like 20 minutes a night at ucla basically
0: no question they, they return their their whole starting five at miles johnson like did you even say kenneth wuba who like no. played like like a lot of minutes. Like I don't want to say he he won some of those games of the tournament, but there's foul trouble. He stepped in. So there is a a log jam of playing time and in a vacuum, you might look at him as a prospect and say, no doubt, one and done. The role it just may be different. Like I don't anticipate him starting. I'd be surprised if he starts. Can that change during the year? Sure. And there's a lot of things that he does that are different from the pieces that they have. Uh, six foot nine kind of three four runs and finishes knows how to use his length around the basket gets by his man at the first step the jumper does scare me a little bit just he overthinks it when he's left open and and watching he was on that team usa u19 team he was pushed all over the place i mean he needs more size and strength and i don't necessarily fault him for it and i like the fit of him playing with Jaime Haquez and Johnny Juzang, just two more four spacers that allows him to be more of a, a slasher finisher. Like he doesn't have to be a shooter. If if he's just a slasher finisher, gets up and down, shows enough things, the jumper like will will get there. I don't think NBA Scouts will be super hung up on it. But yeah, it will totally. be hard hard to find significant minutes on a team that's loaded and and frankly has really high expectations, you make this unbelievable Final Four run out of nowhere and oh, now we're gonna bring everybody back at a a five star guy and one of the most sought after center transfers in the country, Miles Johnson. There's just there's a lot there.
1: Yeah, I mean look, I've been pretty transparent that I have a future on UCLA to win the title, (laughs) like eighteen to one. Like I think U C L A is gonna be
0: awesome. When did you put that bet down? 18 Ooh. to 1 seems outrageous. Seems yeah,
1: high. It seems odd. Yeah, it was um probably probably in June, I would
0: say. Wow. Some I'm sometime it's that like high. June. Uh, my guess would be like 10 to 1, 12 to 1.
1: Yeah, so our, our good friends at Bet MGM uh have already reduced that number down to 12 to 1. They're actually Save. the third That's favorite to here. win the title. <laughs> Whereas when I got them, they were more in like the top 16. As opposed to like third favorite to win the title. Um, Yeah, like Purdue, right? I have Purdue at like 17 to 1. I have Texas at like, you know, 20 to 1 or something like that. Um, So basically, like, those are the three teams that I'm pretty invested in this year in terms of their success. Uh, All three of those, right now, according to our good friends at BetMGM, the sportsbook partner of the athletic, (laughs) uh, all three of those teams are now in the top 10 in terms of. title feature and I don't think either I don't think any of them were whenever I got the bet so I am generally I would say generally just intrigued with how this Peyton Watson thing goes because I think Jaime Jaquez is phenomenal like I, I think yes. he is a I like I think he is probably going to win Pac-12 player of the year this year I'm just calling that shot now. I know that his teammate is probably the favorite to win that award. Uh, Johnny Juzang is also phenomenal and very much should be considered for that honor. But Jaime Hawk has averaged 12 points and six rebounds last year. He shot 39% from three and 49% from the field. He's tough as shit. He's a great defender that made the all pac 12 <laughs> defensive team. Like, I think he brings more to the table that NBA teams are looking for than Johnny Juzang does, who is just like a super high-level shooter right now.
0: And, and just to finish the, the Peyton Watson thing as we transition to these guys, my shot that I'm calling is if Peyton Watson is a one-and-done, it's going to be on people seeing for the future and the upside, not because he averages 18 points per game as Pac-12 player of the year. I, I just don't envision that with what the roster is. Uh, I really like Jaime as two and, and people around the UCLA program will tell you he's the best player on the team, and it's not close. I've heard that from multiple people. Just an incredible NCAA run. I mean, despite the the Juzang spurt, I'm, I'm still counting on Jaime to, to be the guy. And, and some of the box are ridiculous. 27 points on a playing game versus Michigan State. 19 the elimination game versus Gonzaga. Similar volume of threes his freshman sophomore year. Uh, it was under a hundred per season, and he still bumped his percentage up from thirty one to thirty nine percent. Like as a isolation scorer, he's a good jump shooter. Not great out of pick and roll. Yeah. Going back now, and uh, I I get so emotional watching the tournament, and I, I have to be better at, at looking at through an evaluator, not just somebody enjoying the game. Is that he makes some really tough shots. Yeah. So he has some of that like poor man's college Adam Morrison to him with like the flair the. Passion, the showmaking. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to average 28 points per game, but he he does have that fearlessness to him, and he goes so hard when he's in attack mode, and he'll hit these back-breaking daggers during that Final Four run. I just want him to take care of the ball a little bit more. Can be loose when he gets in hero mode. There's going back again and watching it. There were some old boys, and Gonzaga <laughs> did a great job uh, in that game. To they just wore him down. They double teamed him. They swarmed him the paint. Once he puts the ball on the ground. So I'm nitpicking here. I like him. Still, it's not. I'm I'm hesitant because of the guys that kind of have the similar frame and and type of game that they don't necessarily always pan out in the NBA. So that's why I'm just a a little slow to say he's a, a definitive lock first rounder like some people have right now.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think he's a lock first rounder, if only because the athleticism is a real concern in his case. Like, he's just not a super athlete in the way that a lot of NBA wings are. Uh, I think he needs to be like the super high level shooter that we've seen that he's capable of being throughout the course of his career thus far. Uh I'm, I'm, like, trying to think of a guy, like, m- immediately, for some reason, my mind went to Robbie Hummel. But Hummel was just, like, a way better passer than what Paquez yeah. has ever shown. Bit, a little he's, bit bigger. He's a little bit bigger like it's just like trying to like find it's hard to find the guy that jaime jaquez is like most like in the nba but it's yeah it's like not i don't know why my mind went to hummel initially but it's not even that <laughs> right and he was
0: i'm just looking up quickly here he was the 58th overall pick
1: right yeah no he in, in well, the draft
0: like, and, and played what a couple of years i know he had injuries and whatnot yeah but it didn't didn't pan out didn't work
1: uh Re- Re- played in the NBA for a while. Like I think it worked enough. Still, but,
0: look, still still playing three on three, still doing his thing there. Gotta give him credit where cards do.
1: Yeah, like I think it was more that the injuries just like kinda took a lot from him, unfortunately. But uh let, let's talk about Johnny Juzang now. Johnny Juzang uh was just on fire. The entire NCAA tournament. <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, we just talked about contested shot making with Jaime Jaquez. Like, Johnny Juzang's contested shot making was absolutely unbelievable. I, I mean, mean for- he,
0: he had the NBA Jam Fireball for a tournament. It's like he blacked out in March and became the the super version of Johnny Juzang. And I, I don't. Then I saw the combine. And I'm like, oh, that's Johnny Juzang. Or is it? Or is the tournament version Johnny Juzang? Which Johnny Juzang are, are we getting here this year? So,
1: so like, here's the thing with Johnny. It was happening before the NCAA tournament. So, the NCAA tournament that he played was, what, six games, probably? Because they didn't make the title game. So, six games. If
0: playing, you go yeah. back
1: through his final 17 games of the 2021 season, I guess, um, he averaged 19 points, five rebounds, and two assists, and shot 46 from the field, and 37 from three on like nearly seven attempts per game. Like... He was really good for a long time. He wasn't just really good and got hot for a six-game stretch. The biggest thing is, like, I just don't know what you do with him on defense, to be honest. Uh, I I just don't know that I see the athleticism there to where he can really uh, hold up the point of attack. He's going to have to get stronger. He's going to have to, like, just really be very physical, I feel like. But man, like the the jumper is going to give him a real shot and the contested shot making is going to give him a real shot. Like that's a guy where I almost don't care what the percentages say. We know that that dude can shoot, right? Like it's just that he takes a lot of contested ones.
0: There, there is, but despite that 17-game run, he still only shot 35% from three during the year. Like, that's not a wowser number as a shooter. Like, if I'm drafting a guy who's a shooter, I want him to be more than 35% from the college line. He does shoot a clean ball coming out of his hand. I think he's probably more of like a 38 or, or so guy next yeah. season. But if the shot's not falling... He's able, is he able, I'm sorry, to turn the corner and and come off these high ball screens? Is he able to read the defense and kick to the perimeter when the defense collapses? And it's just my other point of question is, will he be comfortable creating his own looks with two to three dribbles as opposed to eight? I mean, that tournament run allowed him to kind of clear out and make a bunch of dribble moves or or turn his back to three point line and do like that old school Mark Jackson back it down thing. For his game and position in the NBA and likely his role, that's just not a, a translatable way to do it. And I'm um, as much as the tournament and the, that last run is burned to my head, still the Combine is, too, where all that yeah. shot creation and shot making was just sort of gone when the NBA spotlight was on him.
1: Yeah, no, that that's definitely true. The Combine stuff, especially when he was up against real athletes all the time, all across the court, like that's a real thing that he has to address for sure. I will say in terms of the numbers on his three-point shot, he took just as many jumpers off the dribble as he did off the catch last year. I think that if you would change that percentage in some way, mm-hmm. and by the way, like as a general rule of thumb, most catch-and-shoot jumpers for people tend to be unguarded catch-and-shoot jumpers just because, well most of them are pretty clean looks, right? Like that's when you take uh, catch yep. and shoot threes, right? Um, you find the guy who, where his help defender has sunk too far in, you kick it out to him and he's getting a clean look, right? Actually 52% of Johnny Juzang's jumpers off the catch last year were guarded. And in terms of just jumpers off the dribble, he took over half of his shots off the dribble. So, it's just like a tricky thing for me to try and navigate, right? Because right. The, the numbers are lower, but I think that the context for, for those numbers in terms of the way that, like what the shot distribution is, I think is actually also like very relevant in his case because he was just asked to shoulder everything for that offense a lot of the time.
0: He, he was. Him or Hawkins, depending on who had the, the hotter hand, and we don't have to talk about the hot hand fallacy, but the offensive load fell on those guys. It, it wasn't, Tiger Campbell had, had a game or two here or there, but those guys, they they're going kind of to the strengths of higher wings were going to score. And, and not offensively, Cody Riley also had a few good games there too, but I wasn't being like, well, the, the swing is going to be Cody Riley. It's going to be, no, is Johnny Giuseppe going to have 27 points this game and keep mid it and keep it close down to the wire?
1: Yeah. Um, all right. We, we don't want to go for hours upon hours on the show. I have I have <laughs> Hawkes and Juzang as like potential first-round picks. L- let's talk about Dyson Daniels now. Um, interesting prospect out of Australia. Decided not to do the NBL Next Stars route and instead come to do the G League Ignite program, which was an interesting choice, I thought. I actually quite like Dyson Daniels uh, for similar reasons to why I like Peyton Watson. I, I think they're actually pretty comparable prospects, just Peyton's a little bit bigger. Uh, Daniels is a really good on-ball defender. He's a really good Attentive off ball defender from what I've seen. He makes plays. He's disruptive with his hands at a very high level. Uh, he's also a really good passer. Like, he was the guy mm-hmm. that was often initiating for the Australian team this summer at the U19s and really showcased a lot of like high level distribution ability uh, for a player that will be asked to play more of a secondary role. The big question is the jumper. I think the mechanics look good. He just doesn't quite get enough like lower half involvement in the shot. Uh, But I think he's going to be pretty good. Like I I think he is going to be a first round pick.
0: Pretty good. And uh, I watched a lot of that U19 film too. 14, five and five for Australia during that tournament runs the court stays really wide that that popped to me changes ends really quickly he cuts, he moves, he dives away from the ball. He's he is the, the sneaky scorer that we want Ben Matherin to be hiding behind his man or yeah. the backside of the zone, then, then popping up for an easy shot. Thought the form of the jumper was pretty compact as like a set shot when the ball was swung to him. There is a, a slight dip and some crank to it. Can be a zone buster when the defense doesn't close out and has time to, to get that crank going. Uh, I liked he could finish with either hand around the rim. He had good balance and body control, good length. Handle a little shaky too. I saw a couple turnovers, a couple turns his back, yeah. deflections. It just didn't pop initially and, and seemed to be more of a, a complementary piece to me. Uh, steady player, two to one assist to turnover ratio, and not necessarily going to hurt you out there. I know these aren't like the the most like energetic type of uh, compliments or, or attributes, but he, he just didn't have like the. I heard the buzz and I watched and I think my eyes were excited for like these big time plays and just not necessarily always going to come with Dyson Daniels.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree for sure. Uh, I like definitely more of like a workman's game, almost (laughs) like the way that he just like generates offense off the ball and the way he defends and can make some passes. Like, he tries to get to like his step back for three. He just isn't a good enough shooter yet to like consistently take advantage of that. I think that's the swing skill. If Dyson Daniels is a shooter, he's gonna play in the NBA for like a decade and be like a really good rotation wing. Uh, if he's not, then things get questionable for him in a hurry, I think. And it, it all just comes down to being able to knock down uh, consistent shots for him.
0: Yeah, this this uh, this is a home game for you with the Australian thing. So if anyone has the the right intel or e-valids, I hope you at least have a head start here, which sounds like you do. <laughs>
1: Let's take another quick commercial break, and then we'll dive into three freshmen, maybe even a fourth that I'm actually like really interested in, especially one of whom that I think like is a legit, real like potential top twenty pick. Okay, we're back. So, there's a group of four freshmen that I think are, like, swing guys in this class. I've, like, pretty much convinced myself that I think Max Christie is going to be a first-round pick, one-and-done guy, basically. Uh, I know he's not, like, on too many, like, other people's mock drafts. Like, he's going to be a top-20 guy for me entering this year. He is... Everything that NBA teams are kind of looking for, I think, like he's six foot seven, he has beautiful shooting mechanics. He is at least reliable defensively. He's not disruptive uh, defensively in like a difference making way, but he knows where to be and is like very useful. Uh, I'm just generally very very in on his game because i think he actually knows how to play basketball knows how to like come off of screens knows how to get separation you've told me you're a little bit lower on the handle like i think it's a functional handle i don't think it's like a super creative handle he reminds me a lot of moses moody last year though like in in Mm. a lot of ways
0: the the handle is functional for the role that he plays and i've seen him a ton because he grew up in the illinois wolves Program system on Underarm Association. So I've watched a, a lot of Max Christie for, for many years. And he does have great size as, as, a, as a two, a three, and a point guard, and a pinch at 6'6, 6'7. Six, 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 really effective in using his length to finish, too. Whether it's like these short fadeaways, these step backs, he'll drive in the paint, he'll mix it up for some rebounds. He's put on, he, he's still skinny, but he's put on some size, noticeably so, at the end of his senior year and, and the stuff we've kind of seen from Michigan State to start uh the preseason just a lot of balance to his game limited motion on his jumper he's made that more compact too my only sort of hesitation is that he was such a cheat code in high school that he could do whatever he wanted and and score 30 points a game because the league he played so he had this this longer leash to to make mistakes and, and take these offensive chances and it's funny because he's used to getting away with taking these wild shots And you have to see how on board Tom is with that. And I looked, I had an inter-squad scrimmage this weekend at Michigan State, and the brief notes I read about it was it seemed like the two were kind of still feeling each other out like he took a couple wild ones and is I was like uh do you live with it do you pull them do you yell at them you don't want to crush the kid as a freshman but he also still has a specific style that he coaches and the way that he wants to play that he's not going to be able to take as as wild shots as he has the high school level
1: yeah no I I totally get all of that and I think that that's all 100 percent right and there is a chance that like it just doesn't go as well as what I want it to for sure like but it's just kind of what every NBA team is looking for at the end of the day. Yeah, that's and, kind of what and, I keep coming and, back
0: to. And I anticipate him starting. And I, I think that's a fair shot for you to shoot, though. You're not saying yeah. Max Christie. It's, it's uh, yeah, Ben Caro, <laughs> there's Chet Holmgren, Jaden Hardy's fourth. You're not saying anything extreme like that. But, hey, he right. could be in consideration to be a first-round guy and, and climb his way up with with a few solid performances. going to take his freshman lumps. He's going to have to adjust to – the college game and playing a little bit more within himself but very smart kid hard worker he has all the things that the characteristics you look for in in that role in that type of player in the nba
1: okay uh bryce McGallins is next six foot seven almost like combo guard more than wing right now would you agree
0: yes i would
1: Just big though. And I kind of mentioned at the top of the podcast that I think he's another like real swing guy because I could see a world where, under that Fred Hoiberg wide open offensive style, they have some shooters as well on that Nebraska roster this year. uh, That it just looks really good. And he averages like 16, six, and three assists per game and is like a very clear one and done that's like a top 20 pick. Or I could see a world where he averages like 15 points a game and shoots 38% from the field, and it doesn't quite look as good as what the counting numbers say because he just has some problems with efficiency from time to time. He's about 175 pounds at six foot seven, Ballpark it there.
0: Yeah. Uh, people who have seen practice the last couple of weeks said he's a little bit bigger but still very slender
1: yeah very very slender guy and plays a brand of basketball that is completely fearless uh he is the person initiating contact uh his father if i remember correctly is a football player or was a football player at is it clemson uh it's sure,
0: something like that i have, more the, like I have that. more the brothers background but that would uh explain the mentality his attacking mentality if you will
1: yeah so like completely fearless really like initiates contact doesn't just absorb contact actually struggles to absorb it right now because he is so skinny throughout his core and like just doesn't have that strength yet but like he plays with a level of toughness that I really like to see from a potential shot creating you know scoring styled player Uh, I like the jumper mechanics he just has a natural bend and doesn't have enough lower half involvement. Like the release is very clean and he gets good rotation on the ball. I think it's just going to take a little bit of time. And the question is just like, does it happen this year for Bryce McGowan's or does it happen next year, two years? I don't know, but I think he's definitely an NBA player long-term. It's just what, when does it happen basically to where it's most valuable for him to be you know to go through to the nba draft i guess
0: yeah at, at six foot six a high level athlete he was a top 25 recruit five star across most uh, recruiting services and it was also a nice game of chess by the nebraska staff his brother uh trey was at Pitt, transfers to nebraska bryce was actually one time committed to florida state decommits mm-hmm. and commits to the huskers for once a lifetime opportunity to play with his brother very smart you get two for the price of one i, I don't mean that literally uh, so he Uh, He pushes the ball ahead really well, too, to cover ground and can make his own offense off the dribble. Similar to you, I really like his body control. And he is a capable shooter from distance, and he believes in it. You can see he has confidence when he releases the ball. And the way he gets up and down the court and plays through contact, that pops out. The strength is is obviously a, a, a huge swing, but he needs it. He could probably speed up his jumper a little bit. Playing in that Fred Hoiberg system style that that we watched last year, and we we saw how much offensive flexibility they gave a guy like Delano Banton and and different players. But it was kind of like, here's the ball, go like do your thing, work on work on defense, yep. and then you can explore offensively what you want to do. And I, I know that part of the appeal for Bryce, uh, aside from playing with his brother, was there's minutes night one for you to come in and, and score and, and be a high-level guy and really showcase the NBA teams what your ability is.
1: I think that's definitely right. We'll, we'll just see how it goes. Like I think that it could go one of two ways, and one of those ways is exceptionally positive. One of them is it just is a bit inefficient this year, and he's a sophomore at Nebraska, and you know he goes in the first round next year right Mm -hmm. at some point it's the switch is going to flip though like he's once he figures out efficiency it's going to be real and he's going to be awesome i think
0: yeah the motherboard that we have currently for like guys that need to flip the switch that we're talking about today is massive Uh, he's one of them if the switch is flipped that i think it could happen sooner rather than later than some of these other guys
1: yeah i agree uh the next freshman for me is matthew cleveland great scorer in high school, like has a lot of uh, just great. He's phenomenal footwork. I think that's the number one thing that really stood out to me. Like on his drives, he knows exactly where to place his feet has like a nice little Euro step game occasionally. And like can really just knows how to get into spaces in order to get a pull up jumper off or to get a shot at the rim off. I'm uh, I think he's a definitely a potential one and done. I don't love the like athleticism in a lot of ways. Like he doesn't seem to have a crazy amount of explosiveness laterally and like on the ground, he can jump a little bit for sure.
0: He can jump. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. But like on the ground, it doesn't function quite in the same way. It seems like, uh, but maybe, maybe it just works at Florida state. And he averages 14 points a game in that like very spread, um, production wise offense and he's really good
0: he's an up and down wing and he, he will convert and transition it will be uh, he's a guy that i want to see how it works at florida state because coach hamilton has, has been great in, in producing these first round picks that go in and you, you don't really know what you're getting like even patrick williams like it kind of took a little bit of leap of faith and Scotty Barnes went really high and it's been one preseason game and I don't want to contradict myself but he showed more stuff in one game preseason game with the Raptors and you kind of saw the whole time at Florida State because the floor was more spaced out and he played more than 22 minutes like so Matthew Cleveland could be a byproduct of that the confidence he plays for and I, I think that the lateral stuff I'm, I agree with, but he'll search for guys to try dunk on now too and, yeah. and he'll, he'll adjust his body around traffic like you said at Eurostep or coming off screens he'll finish in the paint he'll settle sometimes for step backs and, and turnarounds off the dribble and he has to just round out his game in the half court he's such a, a, a full court guy that he wants an up tempo style he wants guys playing fast because he's great attacking whether it's a shifting defense in, in transition or shifting defense off of ball reversals for a slow recovering guy or defender and he'll win those battles with baseline with rip throughs or, or take up the lane and and go back door. I I just want to see how he is in a half court structured offense where you're not just going to run up and down and beat somebody up the court.
1: The attack portion of what you just said is a really good point. Like he knows exactly when he has a seam and exploits it. Like he is, he's constantly looking for that little advantage. And once he sees it, boom like he hits it as quickly as possible what have you thought of his defense because i don't really have a great feel for it yet
0: no not not great feel because like we said so much of the high school tape is is lazy and it's not just him specifically but it's just reach ins for steals for deflection you start kind of creeping out to half court to get out for a dunk so so much so often in games that I don't think I've had like a, a real full read on what it would look like for him in a in a forty minute game.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm just not real sure yet. That'll be like the biggest key to him getting on the floor, to be honest, is being able to play defense at a high level. Because yep. Leonard Hamilton will not uh play him if he's not willing to defend. I know that like some of the scouting reports from people who've seen him more than I have have said like they believe in him being able to be like a good defender at some point oh, it's just too. yeah I, I i don't know where he is right now i think is probably the best way to put it
0: yeah it's it's still hey when i see him as high as he is on, on draft stuff i i, I don't I'm not like negative toward it but i just have more more caution because i i don't know what the whole thing is going to look like okay he has to shoot he has to shoot
1: Has to shoot it, and I think that that's also a pretty real question for him. Uh, Can he consistently knock down catch-and-shoot shots? But we'll see. Um, I have some faith in him being a shooter long-term. It's just not right now and then the last whoa, guy who's a whoa, freshman
0: okay oh, just made me, me laugh thinking about it, is that uh about shooting and defending i think someone came at you at, at twitter today and said you couldn't guard imani bates so th- those type of jump shots and, and defensive stuff will will develop and evolve as we, we go along here too
1: yeah l- l- we'll talk about Amani in a minute um so the last freshman i want to talk about is harrison ingram who's going to go to stanford Really good physical frame, just six foot six, six seven, with like a six eleven, seven foot wingspan. Uh, not a crazy athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but does have like some pretty real talent for scoring the basketball. A very conscientious defender, again, like a guy who really gives effort on that end. And at least, a, I would say, probably a better baseline off the catch and shoot than where I would say Matthew Cleveland is. Would you agree? yes uh the question is just really athleticism like i'm not totally sure what to do with him in terms of where he is athletically
0: i i I had the same exact conversation with a person on the west coast because he has a a chance he sees the game really really well exceptionally well and coming in he could be one of the better classers in that entire better passers in that entire class i'm sorry. He he is more of a power driver that uses body shoulders to initiate contact for space creating and then he'll utilize those pauses, hesitation, dribbles, but it's never that burst. He like has to freeze his man to still beat him with a step and it's like an extra shoulder there because he doesn't have a ton of wiggle, but he does have that craftiness beyond being a, a straight line driver. And he's smart. He was he was I feel like everyone's on this USA U19 team. But when he was there, he played the middle of the zone, he passed, he moved, he face-cut his man. Along those same lines, he he does have very active hands on defense for steals and deflections too, so it's like his mind is is faster than his body. The foot speed and lateral quickness, it, it may be an issue. It could improve. His body has leaned out some since he got to campus. The shot isn't bad, just a little flat at times, and again, it's fixable. And Stanford's been on a hot streak with prospects, developmentally even more so i could sneaky see him creeping up too because i i do like his skill set foot speed always scares me as as a a thing defensively to to get there in the nba and it's a big thing to just say yeah you gotta fix your feet but he does a a lot of things really well
1: okay and then the last little group we're going to talk about here are the returners so marcus bagley i think probably would have been a top 50 pick in the 2021 draft decided to go back to arizona state With him, uh, just needs to continue to prove that he's a consistent 35 to 40% three-point shooter, has real uh, defensive properties and continues to be a high-level defender. And I would just like to see him expand his game a little bit more as a ball handler.
0: Right. And we also have to remember that last year in Arizona State, he did play with kind of more ball stoppers than Remy Martin and Josh Christopher. So there were a lot of times where I felt that he felt when he caught it, there was pressure for him to force an attempt, or he was going to get the ball back for a half dozen possessions. So you get sped up. He only played what twelve games because of of injury. So it, it's hard to project. But the yeah. measurements of combine, you're almost six foot eight with a six eleven wingspan. Just need to see more, do more, more stake, less sizzle. Showed showed enough tantalizing stuff in the games he was healthy early in the year, but just has to do it at a more consistent level.
1: Uh, Terrence Shannon is a guy that you were high on. You had a first-round grade on him in the 2021 draft class. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was a little bit lower. Uh, I don't love the offensive feel necessarily, but one of the best wing defenders in the 2021 draft class, and he will be one of the best wing defenders in the 2022 draft class.
0: I was surprised. He went back to school. Everything I was kind of hearing, he had one foot out the door. Has to assert himself. He, He can't be... The guy that, that didn't start some games and close some games. And the, the shot needs to stay on that trajectory. He bumped it from 26 to 36%. Has the pop off the floor. Uh, the numbers in the offense didn't always allow him to show those kind of self-creation skills. And he's the alpha now on a team at Texas Tech that doesn't have Mac McClung. And they have seven transfers. So there's this offensive hole in the backcourt from the wing for him to be able to, to take over.
1: How do you think that Texas Tech team is going to look this year? Because I can't I'm fascinated.
0: Quite. I overuse the word fascinating, but you have Siddharth Calhoun from Florida State. Yep. Uh, the, he'll take some shots. I mean, you have Kevin O'Banner from Oral Roberts. You have Marco Santos Silva back. Yep. So for TJ, it's like I don't want him to be a, a point guard like he was for stretches in the NCAA tournament. And not just go like semi-hero mode, not full hero mode all the time
1: yeah no i agree with that and like they also have bryson williams who is going to try and take yep, some shots right. and i liked adonis arms like quite a bit at winthrop Uh really interesting like long prospect who's like six foot five but you know enormous and there are some teams that the analytics model like actually kind of really likes him a little bit um and then you have tj who is a really valuable defensive player right now and i would bet you they sold him on being the guy coming back right so just a, a weird roster because like does sadar calhoun run the offense like is is that what we're gonna do here
0: i don't know there were there are times in the tournament and i went back and watched a, a game this week and i watched a ton of games last year but like TJ Shannon would take the ball and kind of like wave off everybody else. Like, no, I got it. Like I'm point guard. I'm going to do this. I don't know yeah. how much Mark Adams going to let that happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We just don't know what Mark Adams like philosophy is going to be either. Like as a head coach. So th- that part of it is interesting too. Um, Next up is a guy that I'm really high on, Hyunjin Lee out of Davidson, the only returning player in college basketball to average 10 points a game and shoot Uh, 50-40-90. Just a genuine elite shooter uh, across the board. He's 6'7", he shoots off of movement, he shoots from NBA range, like period, point blank, everything you're looking for as a shooter. I think he is the best shooter in the 2021 or 2022 NBA draft class.
0: Yeah, 50, 44, 90. He played on the South Korean national team, so I watched some of that stuff. He was a leader out there. He was a primary guard. They played fast. They moved the ball up the court. Then he'll make you pay with him trailing and waiting for kickouts. And a a very good shooter, like you said, fluid with the ball in the break, too, and and seems to be playing with real confidence.
1: Yeah, definitely. The big key is defense. Uh, Just needs to prove he can defend at some level. Uh, From what I've been told, he's much stronger. Uh, heading into this season has gotten a lot more physical uh, in his ability to just actually absorb contact because at times he would kind of get blown through uh, in a way that was a bit frustrating to see. Uh, and as a freshman, like it was just hard for him. Like he just didn't have the physicality, but I mean, in, I'm intrigued. Uh, I think that there's quite a bit here in terms of talent that he can bring. Uh, I, I would expect he'll be one of the best players in the A-10 this year.
0: Yeah, that, that league is uh, consistently good as a alum of the Atlantic 10 Conference, and there, there are some high-level prospects there, or at least high-level guys that you do take a second look at, to put it that way.
1: Okay, next up, we have got uh, Tavion Kinsey at Marshall. Okay. Uh, definitely a big numbers player like for sure he's a guy that averaged uh if i remember correctly i don't have the numbers up but he was like right around 26 and 3 last year uh six foot five you know very twitchy athletic wing big thing though is like a lot of his stuff comes in transition and I, i just wonder how that translates to the next level but you know 53 percent from the field 41 from three and 82 from the line according to my notes so um you know needs to prove he can shoot from three consistently like that's been the bugaboo throughout his career uh doesn't take a lot of them doesn't look super confident taking them but if he can prove he can shoot from three there's a real shot that he's an nba player
0: right and i actually think he's a better passer and making reads and is given credit for uh, the only other thing i'd add to you is i just want him to stop turning his back to pressure all the time and that's a hold up he had i think it was top five in dunks last year in college basketball and the the transition stuff the, the highlight reel is incredible but just needs to make his mark more on the half court
1: yep agree okay uh next for this is alan flanagan who is gonna miss the little early portion of this season here as we spoke about on a previous podcast he was really good for Auburn last year. Averaged 14 points on 46 from the field, 34 from three, 77 from the line. Uh, Big physical, like six foot six with what seemed to be pretty long arms, 220 pounds probably. Uh, Every reason to kind of believe that he looks like an NBA wing.
0: Right, just size, strength. At six foot six, his points jump from three points per game to fourteen points per game from freshman and sophomore years. Thirty four percent from three. He's gonna have to, gonna have to shoot it. There's, there's still that expanded role with Sharif Cooper gone, JT Thor gone, even Justin Powell gone. The injury was a a total bummer. I like him as a breakout candidate. I hope it doesn't take him too long to get his legs back on drum and, and play in the SEC.
1: Yep. Um, let's see. Oshai Akbaji, we, we kinda know what Oshai is at this point. He is uh, a six foot five guard at Kansas who has a frame again that looks very much like NBA players. Uh he can knock down shots from distance. He hit thirty-eight percent of seven attempts per game last year. I, I think that there's just like glue missing from his game. Like I think that the gears are turning every time I watch him play yeah. basketball and uh he's a guy that looks like a great NBA prospect where yes, I've just totally. never quite like come away thinking, oh no, he's it. Like he's definitely an NBA player.
0: He was six five and a half with shoes with six ten wingspan, four point five percent body fat, big hands. So he passes the look test, passes the eye test, very good defender. He can hit shots just better when he limits his movements and isn't flying off of screens did average 14 points per game you you talk to some kansas fans and that like still mystifies them that he scored that many points per game his three-point percentage has gone up each of his last three years just needs to have more of an in-between game too similar to like that ben matherin like you you have to do something beyond just threes or or trying to dunk and just not drift like that that's been another thing we'll try to just you can't drift for long stretches
1: okay uh do we want to do jordan hall now or with the guards
0: yeah that's it's interesting i i did all my notes for jordan hall but he's probably more of a, a guard or thinks he's a guard so I, that might be one to to table for next time
1: yeah let's save him for next week uh my king buddy buckets buddy Beheim. Over at Syracuse, uh, what a what a strange year for Syracuse last year because basically their season turned once they turned over their offense to the coaches kid. <laughs> right. I feel like typically then, that goes the other way. Like <laughs> it, it, it can.
0: Yeah. I mean, Kadari um, Richmond did transfer. I Man, I don't know necessarily because of it, but there there were some defections that I guess it happens everywhere in college basketball. But he he had that he had that run for a couple weeks where the basket was just like him throwing a ball in the ocean. Like he just couldn't miss.
1: Yeah, no, he averaged 22 points on 50% from the field, 46% from three on nine attempts from three per game and 83% from the line over his final 12 games. So that's like a month and a half, the last month and a half he played last year. Uh, I'm assuming he's the preseason ACC player of the year. That's kind of my guess at this point. Um, I I mean, just an unreal shooter. That's that's what it comes down to. He is an incredible shooter who can generate three point looks on his own. And I don't know if he can do anything else by NBA standards, but <laughs> right. uh, well, the he, shooting is Syracuse, real.
0: The shooting is really just sitting in that Syracuse zone. And scouts are are always just a little leery, like, eh, is Syracuse guys his own? Like, can he defend? Yeah, he could, but you just don't see as many reps and. Uh, I'm sure some Syracuse purists will say, like, we don't play nearly as much zone as we used to. It's like, yeah, but you still do for a lot of the game. So you can get away with sort of bad happens when you have so much length behind you and that, that second line of defense to, to clean up whatever your defensive inefficiencies or deficiencies may be.
1: So some other guys here, Josiah Jordan-James, Justin Moore, Jared Roden at Seton Hall, Ron Harper Jr., um, uh, I think we talked about Jalen Wilson last time a little bit. Um, I mean, look, like I have a bunch of names on my like super long list here of like 350 names, but
0: <laughs> well, uh, last year didn't somebody stump you? Didn't he have somebody like not on your list who was drafted late? Can't remember who it was, but it was someone in the well, 50s Well, or... Balsha.
1: Uh, got drafted. Balsha,
0: that's who it was. Yeah,
1: which was insane. Like, what what in the world are we doing, Detroit? Like, it's bad because like I don't want to keep harping on it but like good lord
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna harp one name that I did want to bring up that uh, I didn't say beforehand and not trying to trying to put you on the spot Ooh, Marsh- here we go Marshawn Marshon- Beauchamp
1: yeah we should talk about Marshawn. that's a good point um great year uh at the whatever like junior college he yeah, played Ukema. for He was a top 50 prospect in the class of 2020 he was a guy that also like i've always kind of thought had a game that looked a little bit more uh looked a little bit more like a pros game as -hmm. opposed to in like a college game just because he's he, he tends to be a player that like likes to go and try and score like on his own and not play a ton within like a team concept is that kind <laughs> yeah, of the impression yeah, you got Yeah,
0: you're doing a great job dancing around he averaged 30 points per game and, and shot it every time he wanted to but yes to- totally uh, that was a, a great rain man rundown of of march on six six seven foot wingspan and his his juco tape so he was a top 50 guy coming out of high school he opted to enroll in the chameleon x training program for a year then went to junior college then was like dipping his toes a little bit like can i go to college at the high major level and there's just some amateurism issues so said whatever doing G League Ignite his Juco yeah. tape he, he he was bullying guys I mean he was so much better clearly than the competition that it's just, tough to gauge and, and where he's just at just
1: so much so much more physically gifted oh, particularly yeah, no.
0: and even if he wasn't it, he was like burying his shoulder it's not even like really his game but he was just like punking guys
1: right Yeah. but he can come it, off
0: screens can create his own yeah. his, his handle's tight enough can dribble both ways post smaller players his shot just kind of has like a, a little, a little funky to it. A wide stance, a, a little slowish release. He did shoot forty percent. He's a, a player with the G League night that I, I see as having a chance to separate himself as sort of a little bit this forgotten guy as, as a player as a prospect, and I sort of wrote him off when I, I didn't hear about him for a year. I'm like, oh, you came in junior college, whatever. But reports have been that he's in really good shape and he looks great in workouts. So at least worth a, a mention here.
1: Yeah. And one other guy I want to mention is Justin Lewis at Marquette. He's more of like a forward than a wing, but I realized we didn't mention him last time. He didn't shoot well from three last year, but six, seven has really long arms, moves really well away from the ball. Um, I actually quite like him as a NBA prospect if he can knock down shots at some point.
0: Yeah, he had a. Uh, he definitely has moments as a freshman Marquette. He had like a game winner. I forget who they played. Don't have on the top of my head. Don't kill me. But it was, it was early in the year. Yeah. And then just, just had freshman stuff. Like he'd play 15 minutes one game, 10 the next. Doesn't really have the quickness, sort of like one of these four. I'd say he's more of a four. We probably just missed on him last week. Just a figure-out guy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's also part of the reason why we don't know what to do with him because then have a. A defined position but there there's people who have them kind of like their top 60 for sure for next year
1: yeah um definitely needs to shoot though that's kind of what it comes down to he, he was a terrible shooter last year and if that doesn't change it's gonna be tough for him okay that's everyone i've got is that everyone you've got
0: yeah let me do the the, the quick scan here to see if there's any major names i think that man we we whiffed on we hammered the the pack 12 we'll talk jordan next week uh yeah because there's there's some like we separated out fours there's some like kind of like two threes that probably fit more in that like two category that that we'll cover we'll get to not today yeah
1: totally um okay let's uh do you want to do the many saints of newark thing
0: let's do it let's do it
1: so overall i think i'm glad that it exists. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I'm glad that, like, I got to spend more time in the world. Yes. I, I don't think it was a particularly effective film. But I, I'm glad that, like, it exists. And I got to see young Tony with, like, Michael Gandolfini, who I thought was pretty good. And the Dicky Moltisanti stuff was amazing. I, I didn't really like much else of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay uh i'm i'm in the same boat i think of you i the Sopranos for me was, was that might have been my first like appointment television TV show. This was like pre DVR, pre TiVo. That I remember, this is kind of like my first split screen experience. Of you had the Red Sox on one TV and Sunday Night HBO Sopranos on the other. Like you couldn't miss it. I I, I couldn't miss it. So as much as I loved the show and, and I wanted to see more with every prequel and remake now after so many stinkers for other stuff i'm like just leave it alone like i don't they don't, like, don't remake wedding crashers just let it be like let those guys go go live so it was fun to go back into the world but my, my friend jeff made the point it, it was sort of like the el camino for breaking bad like you wanted like one more phase so it was like a right. thing it was definitely a movie it was definitely a show my hang-up was i didn't think it was bad some people are crushing it i didn't think it was bad
1: no yeah i, I, I agree yeah,
0: I I couldn't get over like the Silvio and Polly walnuts, and I understand you have to show who these characters are, but I thought some of it was like the mannerisms were so far over the top. It's like, do we get it? Like, you're Silvio, you don't have to do like the the lead in the head thing like every single time. That it was just like beaten into you. It, it was hard for me to unsee that once I saw it the first time.
1: I, I honestly thought that the Silvio performance is one of the worst performances I've
0: seen all year. <laughs> you're a movie guy you can you can take those wild swings i, I haven't earned yeah that yet. It, it's like just I, the.
1: i have watched over I, I think it's like i i counted earlier this week i think i've watched over 110 2021 releases Jeez. um it's it, it's one of the worst performances i've seen this year uh it, it is <laughs> uncons it was unconscionably bad i thought
0: yeah, like, I, it wasn't, was, it was uh, dis- I wasn't it, it was
1: distracting. I actually thought that Pauly was pretty good. Billy Magnuson. I thought that guy was good. Um th- the Silvio one was just like totally distracting. It totally removed you from the world of the film in a way that was just ridiculous, I thought.
0: I I, I did Tony's mom I thought was great. Uh, I it, it, yeah. it, it set at least the stage for his issues as he got older. Just the the story itself, and I just hadn't watched The Sopranos in a long time. like there were some callbacks. I was like, oh yeah, that's that thing. But it just had been so long that I I didn't brush up before I watched it. And the story, it was in that world, but it felt like it was like in a different planet. If that makes sense, like this stuff didn't really like coincide. Like I understood what they were trying to do, and with David Chase. All the articles were like, he turned out scripts for 15 years. I didn't think this was the worst script, but I don't know if like this was the one. Like I'm going to use my bullet on this.
1: So, I thought the story was actually quite good. Uh, I understood why this was the story he wanted to tell. The problem was that I thought that there was enough plot for, like, a seven episode miniseries not a movie like to me it's not an accident that all of the characters felt a bit underbaked I thought Outside of Dicky, because you spend the most time with Dicky, like it's a lot of the movie is from his perspective. Like most of it is from his perspective. And and did you care?
0: Did you care about dickie's perspective? That was my other criticism. It's like, okay, cool. I don't really care about this character. I, I, I did in like the movie, but in like the Sopranos grand scheme of things, I want to know about like everything else.
1: Yeah, well, I think that the movie made me care, which is a credit to the right. movie. Yep. You know what I mean? Like yep, I sure. thought that it made me care about Dicky. I thought that Alessandro Nivola's performance made me care about Dicky, like I thought he was phenomenal in the movie.
0: Very good. Um, yes.
1: But then you throw in all the other stuff, like the Leslie Odom Jr. stuff. I don't want to say it seemed tacked on. It just seemed like a bit underbaked cuz like I don't know what his motivations were like there's that little scene of him talking about uh how he wanted to go to the war with his partner and i guess that that's like part of the motivation but beyond just like power hungriness like i I didn't really get it um with like Corey Stoll, the the movie relies a lot on what your preconceived notions of the characters are as opposed to actually building character development. I thought like Corey Stoll in like spoiler alert now for sure. Like we've talked a lot about like things that happen in the movie, but like we haven't like spoiled it, but like now, you know, if you want to pause, like please hit pause. Um, if you don't want to know what happens. So like Corey stole with junior, like junior plays like the critical role in the end of the movie, right. right? Where he makes the call essentially to have, um, Dickie killed because he laughs at him falling down a ser- like some steps. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't think there's really any point in the movie where we get to know junior, beyond just knowing what our preconceived notions are. Like, we see the scene with his, uh, I think, is it his wife? Like, I don't even remember Junior being married. Like, Junior had the girlfriend in Sopranos at one point, but uh, I don't remember him being married. Um, It could have just been, uh, like, a woman that he was with that night. Like, he was laughing. He was mad that Dickie was laughing at him as he fell down the stairs. And... I guess that, like, to me, that scene just totally relied upon our knowledge that Junior is petty, not like any sort of character development that the movie had done beforehand with Junior that makes me understand his perspective and how he became petty later in life. You know what I mean?
0: I do. And I I didn't hate the the journey we, we sort of went on together, but then it ends with a pinky swear. And I'm like, what? And then the, the original theme song hits. I'm like, all right, I'm good. Like, I'm ready for six more hours of TV. Let's do it. It's like, roll credits. <laughs> you're, you're gone forever. I'm like, wait, what? Like, we just kind of got here. I was starting to dig, like, the. You know, they pepper in the, the Tony Soprano stuff about, oh, he's just really gifted. The test show is a leader. He just doesn't like school. And we're, we're finally getting there with him. And then it ends, and you're probably never seeing anything again. Unless something else was written that they're adding to it, but it feels like that was a standalone.
1: So David David Chase has signed a production deal with Warner Brothers. Uh, I think the Hollywood Reporter reported that, which makes me think that like we could see more of these movies at some point. I, I don't know. Um, it, I, I
0: think the TV, the TV thing's probably gone though, I, I would guess. And I'd prefer like what you're saying to take your time, do four episodes. Does not have to be six? Does Doesn't have to be 10? Like some of these other series, I'd appreciate four if there was just more development. now that one, yeah. of the, I won't go full spoiler mode and I guess, but one of the main characters isn't there and you can kind of. Do more stuff with Janice and more stuff with Tony's mom and more stuff with Tony's dad. There's there's other kinda places I'd like to explore and, and dig deeper into because there's so many questions and just the real Sopranos finale, we don't really know what happened. I, I don't know if they'll ever get to there, but more breadcrumbs and more clues and just more Sopranos worlds would, would be good for everybody.
1: Well and I, I think that like the the reason that I would prefer T V. From David Chase as opposed to movies is that think back to The Sopranos it's a lot more character driven in terms of just like in terms of being languorous and being uh, dwelling on certain things and extending out longer conversations and uh, it's a very like internal show in a lot of ways. Whereas movies have to be a lot more plot driven because you only have between 90 minutes and 135 minutes, right. To tell your story. So I I think that David Chase just generally excels more within a tv construct where he is able to spend that time kind of pulling out all of the character development like one strand at a time if that makes he, sense he,
0: he's a half court offensive guy he doesn't want to play we don't want to play up tempo <laughs> that movie was up tempo shooting the half courts where you play well run your cuts run your back cuts it was it was still good i don't i don't want to completely crush it I've,
1: yeah my dad my
0: I'm, dad wasn't psyched yeah. i other people like well what was that thing i'm like i don't know man like it was a good like friday night like kind of go back into that nostalgic place and Sopranos did take time I mean there's there episodes with Dr. Melfi or whatever and, and almost half seasons were like where is this going and then the payoff comes right. it's wow that was great like I I should have had more patience it, it's almost like season 2 of The Wire and then you step back and it's like that was actually brilliant the way they, they framed it and did it but if The the Wire Sopranos were a, a two hour movie like I don't think I would appreciate either series as much
1: yeah no I definitely agree with that um, man, I miss going to the movies. That's, that's that's my life right now. I miss going to the movies. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I hope one day you can uh, watch the next thousand in, in theaters and, and not in your uh, your multiple screens you have going at the same time.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that like, I, I look. I don't know when theaters reopen. I'm hoping that they reopen like end of October when the lockdown is supposed to end. Um, I, I I mean, look, I I need to go to the movies, man. Like that's you that's where out, you
0: Need to get out of your house because I could go to movie theater here, but when I saw The Many Saints of Newark, where I was on uh, HBO Max and streaming, I said that is great. I'll be watching that from my couch.
1: Like we, we've got No Time to Die coming. We've got that ridiculous looking Last Duel movie with your guys, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Like guys, yes. We've, we've got Eternals. Yeah, we've got Last Night in Soho. Like, we, we've got so many movies coming where I need to see them on a big screen. Um, you know, I, I wanted to see The Night House on a big screen. But, you know, unfortunately, that was just not uh, not something that was ever going to happen. So I, I need movie theaters back, Penny. That's where I'm at yes. in my life.
0: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll that's my next wish for you. Next wishing while well, throwing a, a spare. <laughs> coin and say this one's this one's for my friend sam
1: save, save those wishes for the small child uh
0: for baby penny <laughs> yeah. please i wish he'd sleep past 5 a.m that's the first wish then the next yes. one's for you
1: buddy <laughs> that one's for you i don't think yeah, that's this for, for you. Uh, this is baby me. Penny.
0: this one is sam yes
1: or, or toddler penny i guess it is now uh, big baby Glen davis <laughs> oh uh, penny uh tell the people where they can find your work tell the people what's going on uh in your life here
0: uh we're close we're close to this season I've made my my schedule of games and try to be out a little bit more on the road but for the time being I'm on Twitter Matt underscore penny trying not to react too much to preseason rankings and too much to NBA preseason games but I'm just like everybody else I'm gonna I'm gonna overreact
1: uh hopefully speaking not too much. of Speaking of overreacting, there is one more thing we have to talk about. Oh boy, the Imani Bates stuff.
0: No, that's a that's a full episode. But God, <laughs> what do you got? Uh,
1: look, I don't want it to be a full episode. That's why we're doing it at the end here. Okay. Um, look, the, the measurements came out from Memphis' pro day, and I think people like melted down when they saw his wingspan at six seven and a quarter. That's just what his length has been. If you've been listening to this podcast for the last 18 months, two years, whatever, we've talked about this. Like, Penny and I have brought this up Many multiple times. times. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I don't need to belabor it, I guess. Uh, he does not have long arms. That's why Matt and I have been a little bit more... I don't even want to say hesitant. in ter- But, like, we haven't anointed him. Guarded. Right? as like the next guy, unequivocally the guy that's going to like play in the NBA for years uh, and be like a superstar player. Small hands as well. Like that came out. Um, I don't really care about the testing numbers, the vertical jump, vertical leap uh, or max vertical leap, uh, three quarter court sprint, all that stuff. Because when players go through the pre-draft process, they get specific training for those measurements, right? Like they train to max their vertical leap out. I can't imagine that Amani Bates is doing that right now. So when he goes to the NBA draft combine in two years, I would imagine his vertical leap ends up something in the range of like 35, 36 inches and it's fine. You know, like uh, it's just like not worth melting down about. I don't think any of this is worth melting down about because it's stuff that we've known for a while, and I don't think it changes our evaluation of money baits. I guess is kind of where I'm at.
0: My moral meltdown was that he was six foot nine, because I don't think he's six foot nine. Maybe with shoes. I don't think it was noted yeah. on, on that roster there that that was posted that Jonathan Javoni posted and was retweeted and quote tweeted and all that. The the hand stuff, the athletic testing. I, I don't. I, I'm not totally blown away. It's just. You can't hide from the measuring stick and the stopwatch forever. Like, eventually, you're, you're gonna get hard numbers, and, and that's what they are. It, it hurts his, his ceiling a little bit with, with his length because I think, comparatively speaking, with other combine type results, it's just a little bit of a anomaly, I guess I'd say. Uh, I did take some pleasure in, in reading the internet prior to recording this, and there are some people saying he's bust, so some people saying Tom Brady didn't measure out well. Uh, there's some people referencing Kevin Durant. I said, well, Kevin Durant couldn't bench press 185 pounds. And his line was, we don't need to do weights. Give me a ball. I'll play anybody one-on-one right now and win. And he was right. But Kevin Durant's wingspan is nine feet long. So it, it's just different, the comparisons people are making. I'm, I'm more so interested in, in two years, because he's not draft eligible, in two years, what does it look like? I talked to about three scouts who were there today, and they said he was good. He's got ways to go. He he looks like he's a freshman. I, no one left right. there saying that's a that's a top five pick. That's okay. Like there uh, also the Jalen Duren stuff. Some people say he looked amazing. Some people said he was fine. It's the first open practice for all these kids who've had funky schedules because of the pandemic. They're just playing with these guys together for like when did Imani Bates like commit a few weeks ago? Like he has yeah. been on campus for like a few weeks. It's it's an adjustment period for everybody. Uh, I'm a little worried, I'm a little hesitant, but it doesn't change overall because, like you said, I just have never been quite as high. He was a a really highly recruited, rated, I'm sorry, player. As a 14, 15-year-old, people catch up, which is natural. He can still really score the ball. Uh, He has really good self-creation. He can facilitate. But the, the NBA is big boy stuff, and we'll, we'll just kind of see how it how it plays and, and morphs itself here as the season starts in a few weeks. Like actually starts with games.
1: Yep. No, uh, nothing that we have seen. I, I guess nothing from today worries me more or less about Imani Bates. I, I think is the point. Like, yep. I think you and I have just kind of maybe been ahead of the ball game in terms of not questioning him but just acknowledging the reality of some
0: things. Maybe that's we're, the way to put it. We're, right, We're pumping the brakes. We're not slamming. We're just, we just pumped them a little bit early.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Penny has said goodbye already. Now I'm going to say <laughs> goodbye. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. I'll be back Saturday morning with a podcast. I don't know what we'll talk about. Probably some new NBA news uh, that has continued to break Basically, like we'll talk maybe about the weird salary cap machinations. Uh, We'll talk about some strange preseason stuff we've seen. I don't know. I'll I'll talk about the NBA on the next podcast, though. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.